for the most part here, I think the biggest barrier is just it's a male-dominated sport, and it always always has been. And I think that's the biggest barrier for women. You know, they kind of see it, well, men, it's their sport. We don't feel comfortable getting into it. But the more women that are getting involved and other women are seeing this involvement and the barriers breaking down, we're breaking that barrier. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Stay tuned as later in the show we'll be giving you details as to how you can win fly tying materials from Fulling Mill. But first, this Saturday, September 9th, is International Women's Fly Fishing Day, a worldwide initiative to encourage more women to take up fly fishing and for fly anglers around the world to show support for women fly anglers as well. Wherever you are in the world, women are asked to post photos on social media at 11am showing themselves enjoying fly fishing and already in its fourth year it's hoped it's a day that will grow and grow. But did you know that an Irish female fly angler is one of those behind the project? Maddie Kelly is an Irish international angler who teamed up with Pamela Dunlap from West Virginia to form a truly international initiative and I first asked Maddie how and why the idea for International Women's Fly Fishing Day came about. Pamela and I had been talking online for um, I suppose about 18 months and we both had been working with women's groups trying to get more women into fly fishing and it it just literally was one day I said in passing you know we should um, set up a group and go out on the same day and call it International Women's Fly Fishing Day and we both kind of laughed and then over the next few months um, we actually thought that wasn't a bad idea and then um, between us, we knew a number of women around the world. So um, we just decided that um, what we do instead is try and get as many of those women as possible to actually go out on the day with a group. And so come Christmas that year, 2019, we had um, drawn, drawn up a wee plan and then COVID hit. And um, unfortunately, we had to cancel International Women's Fly Fishing Day before it had even been started. And then um, the format that it's in now is that um, women are asked at 11 o'clock in whatever time zone they're in to post a photograph at 11 a.m. And, you know, over COVID, over the first few months of COVID, um, we were definitely down the dumps because we weren't getting to run our day. And it was just like, you know, a moment this thought came to my head and um, my my inner voice, which was quite loud that day, said um, something like the day unfolding across the world. And then literally, you know, within seconds, I had this idea that um, women all over the world could be posting at the same time. And therefore, International Women's Fly Fishing Day would literally unfold across the world. And, you know, going from um, a new woman in New Zealand, a new woman in the West Coast of the States. And I, I, I worked it out that, you know, um, 11 o'clock New Zealand through to 11 o'clock in the west coast of the United States would take about 18 or 20 hours. So International Women's Fly Fishing Day would last about 20 hours. And tell us, um, Pamela, you, in terms of you were, came to fly fishing, well, a recent enough convert, was is that fair to say? But you were involved in a group called Women, Wine and Waiters in West Virginia. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I started fly fishing. It's just been, this is my 10th year, so I am fairly new. I don't have nearly the time in that Maddie has. Uh, but I enjoyed the short period of time that I was introduced to it and started fishing on my own. Of course, you know, it took several years before I got adequate enough to be stream independent, you know. So uh, through that time or during that time, I started asking some of my coworkers to go along with me and, and learn with me, you know, 
coerced them into trying it. And it just took off. I started having tons of women saying, hey, are you going to do another trip? I'd like to go. Hey. So it came to me, you know, I could put a group together and really uh, get this idea of taking women fly fishing, teaching them how to do it, getting them to the point where I was at, which was stream independence. So I founded this group based out of West Virginia, Women, Wine, and Waiters in 2015, and it has completely evolved in the past uh, eight years now. It, it's really grown and flourished, and uh, I'm very proud of what it's become. And, and tell me this, do you think, uh, is it because it was for women, run by women, that then women who wanted to get involved, they found it less intimidating or more opening, more open, more accepting, that, that was an easier way for them to get into it? Most women are more comfortable with other women working with them. And, you know, I think, you know, listen, we have talked about fly fishing being a physical and a mental uh, stress relief getaway, so to speak. It's great for the mind and body. Um, and there's a lot of women out there, specifically my age group, that, you know, we're older, um, our kids are out and going, maybe we're a widow, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons that these women come to me saying, hey, I need a trip with you. And a lot of them are just looking for something new to do with their time and to make new friends. And hey, you go on these trips, you meet these women, and I'm sure Maddie will back this up. This is lifelong friendships that you make through this sport. And, you know, to me, that is that is one of the best um results that you can get from doing these trips and running these programs that her and I do. I thought one of the most important things you said there, and it's a phrase you obviously have, is stream independence. Yes. It's not something you are given or can uh, that you get immediately. It comes with time and practice and a little bit of learning. And when I start with these women, when I bring especially the newer ladies, I just get them on the water, get them get them hooked up, let them fight the fish, get them landed it, and try to get them to touch it. That don't always happen. Uh, but I don't throw everything out there at them at once. I never discuss tippets or leaders. I just get them on a fun-filled day of catching fish, hopefully. Uh, let them learn a little bit. I never throw everything out at once because from my experience, if you give them too much at one time, it's confusing they don't retain it, and then you've lost them. They won't be back. They, they're just too much. It's overwhelming. So when I take ladies on a trip, and, and most importantly, beginners, I tell them, never go out and buy anything. I've got all your supplies. I've got everything. Let me take you out. Let you try my stuff because I can't. I don't go tell people to go buy a certain brand of anything because, listen, we're all different. None of us buy the same brand of vehicles now, do we? So everybody likes something different. Your rods come in medium and fast action and glass, different, different actions. We all like something different. So come on my trips, try my equipment, use it. Talk to the other ladies about what they're using and get a grasp on what you think you might like before you go out spending a minor fortune in equipment. And that's a good thing that we can offer with Women, Wine and Waiters is letting these ladies try everything out. They don't spend a, a lot of money just to go on a fishing trip and meet and make friends. So to me, that's that's a big positive with what people we can offer through this group. Yeah, that sounds really, really good. And it's a 
really good way to go around things and not to overload. I mean, that information overload can turn a lot of people away. So, but Maddie, would you have been aware of that, of that phrase, but you obviously would have been aware of the whole concept behind it here in Ireland yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah um, I, I started running training courses for women in November of 2015. And since that, um, especially over the years of 2018, 2019, um, myself and my friend Susan Brown, um, we had been running like a program of six days um, over the course of maybe two or three months um, for beginners and trying to encourage those beginners to come along to as many of those days as possible. And then um, after a, a few years, um, some of the women who had been on the days in 2015 um, just wanted to come along and be with other women. But obviously the beginner's day wasn't challenging enough for them. So um, we ran a programme, an intermediate programme of um, 10 days. And by um, request, we put another two days on. So in that year, 2018, we had an intermediate programme of um, 10, 12 days. And um, that covered such a lot of stuff and was absolutely, it was so different for me to be actually um, coaching on that day because these women were at a far higher level than the beginners that I was used to. And it was really, really superb. Um, so unfortunately, then COVID hit and knocked all that on the head. But yeah, the, the way um, um, I mean, Pamela would have maybe more experienced anglers going on her trips Whereas um, when I run a, a day for beginners, it really is beginners, um, women who have maybe never even seen a fishing rod, let alone um, put one up. So, yes, I, I wouldn't use the term stream independence. That's a great phrase. Um, I would just talk about um, the aim of, of our days is to um, make independent anglers of them so that they can feel okay about um, you know, driving into a car park of a stillwater fishery and not feel embarrassed because you know they're they're not fumbling over assembling the rod and then when they go out and start casting, they're not um, again fumbling over casting. So um, we would we would concentrate a lot on actually um, trying to get their cast correct because once you have a good cast, you're more confident. That's how you get your confidence built up. And all this other stuff, my my phrase is, look, you learn how to fish and then you spend the rest of your life learning how to fish. So, <laughs> and that's what that's what I tell the women. And your Pam is quite correct. Um, lifelong friendships, as um, I'm sure you know, Tom, because um, you've been fishing a, a lifetime too. But yeah, um, I've certainly met women and, you know, I've been fishing now for 35 years and, um, and a lot of men as well. Um, um, I have lifelong friends amongst that group. And it's only because of fishing. What do you think is the biggest barrier to entry for women to get into fly fishing? Why? Well, do you know, I have been on a conference once, a whole day conference, and it was, what are the barriers to women in sport? So <laughs> you're asking them to, to knock that all down into, into like half a minute. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, there's no doubt about it, Angling is seen as a male-dominated sport and women are basically afraid to um, to sort of put themselves out there because, you know, they're, they're, it's still strange to see women fishing and it's almost like women have to be better than, um, better than they needed to be, you know. So a woman needs to be pretty good for a man to say, oh, she's a good angler, whereas a man can go out and uh, maybe that's unfair to say, but um, it's where women women feel um, and it was explained to me once that, you know, if a man and woman were going for the same job and there was 10 points on the job description and the man looked through it and 
um, nine of the points he couldn't do, but he could do one of them. He would say, oh, I can do that job. Whereas if the woman read through it and saw nine points that she could, could do and one she couldn't do, she would say, oh, I can't do that job. And apparently um, that, that's the difference in the way men and women think. So, yeah, one of the big barriers is that women do not have confidence. And that is why I think um, more so than with men, women's groups are springing up all over the world because women do like learning with each other. And um, if it's at all possible, being taught by women, um, and I know that over in America, um, more and more women are becoming coaches and instructors. And there's a great opportunity for um, women's groups to be taught by women. Here in Ireland, um, we're only at the very, very ground level at that. You know, Glenda Powell, who's an absolutely fantastic instructor, and she's been doing it for over 20 years. Um, but, you know, there's not very many more, honestly. So, um when we when we get more women into fishing, I hope it'll lead to more women actually becoming coaches and instructors, and also not only that, but um, taking positions on committees and boards so that they're helping to run angling, um, and helping to develop angling, and um, that's how you know that women have successfully come into the sport of angling. I, I, I'm sure it would be the same for any sport. Um, and that is lack of confidence is one of the big barriers to women coming into angling. But then there's also things like, you know, um, they're also the main um, caregiver in the family. So if there's something wrong with a child or an elderly relative, you know, um, I'm not saying men don't care about their children or elderly relatives, but, you know, it's it'll be the woman who stays at home um, to look after the to look after the sick person. I think that is a good point you made, Maddie, um, in relation to the kind of, you know, the confidence issue and then the importance of like women learning from w- women as evidenced, uh, Pamela, by your group. Just from your perspective, Pamela, I'd be interested to say, what do you think is the biggest barrier to entry for women um, getting into fly fishing uh, where you live or in the States in general? For the most part here, I think the biggest barrier is just the old times, you know, it's it's a male dominated sport and it always, it most always has been and I think that's the biggest barrier for women you know they kind of see it well men it's their sport we don't feel comfortable getting into it but the more women that are getting involved and other women are seeing this involvement and how much women have flourished in the sport it the barrier is breaking down we're breaking that barrier um I would say you know, I would guess, you know, we used to have a company in, in the States pushing a 50-50 on the water, trying to get um, women and men equal in the fly fishing industry. Um, I don't know that we've met that yet. Uh, I'd say we're a little ways still away from that, but um, it's getting there. Um, my main thing is it's once we get them introduced to the fly fishing, it's keeping them involved. Um, that's, that's what we're looking at now, I, you know, in discussions with other ladies in the industries through, um, maybe, uh, product lines and stuff. We're seeing, uh, we're starting to see a small decrease in the m- amount of ladies that are fly fishing. And I'm not sure what that reasoning is, but we're starting to lose a few that we brought in. So, um, I don't know what the push is. Um, you know, maybe, like I said, you know, sometimes it's overwhelming with the amount of information that they may be getting. Uh, I know for me, when I first started, uh, too much information is uh, generally going to lose them. Uh, But the number one reason I think is just 
always been a male-dominated sport, even when in the States here, when we think of Trout Unlimited, um, I don't ever remember seeing a woman involved with Trout Unlimited, but you do now. Mm. Um, I have seen since in 2015, when I founded this group, um, there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, ladies groups around there. Fast forward eight years, now there's almost a fly fishing group in every state, a women's fly fishing group in every state here in the USA. Now that alone says a lot. That That is a, a tremendous growth, but it's not so much the growth as it is to keep them involved and keep them into the sport. And, um, you know, women have always seen the male side of it. And I think uh, the more they see us women that promote it, teach it, uh, instruct um, whatever we're doing in the fly fishing industry, maybe the more that we will get um, the women involved in it. So we'll see how the rest goes. I'm I'm far from being done. We'll see how it, appro- how it looks in uh, another 40 years when I'm hopefully still in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just what Pamela was saying there. When I started fishing just over 30 years ago, I understood that the percentage of women, uh, percentage of anglers in the States was at 14%. And yes, Pamela referenced a campaign there, 50-50 on the water. Um, I think in that campaign finished in 2020, but I think it's now sitting at the percentage of anglers who are female is 43%. Um, I've just seen that stat quite recently. So that's absolutely phenomenal. There are so many women who fish in the United States. There's a whole business around um, women's fishing. Um, and, you know, Ireland's a long way off that. But as Pamela says, um, there's just there's a a women's only group in every state in America. Um, there's there's a Minnesota, for instance. I was talking to a woman from there, and she mentioned 1,100 women anglers. And I said something like, oh, um, is that women anglers? Um, how many of those fly fish? And she says, oh, no, no, they all fly fish. That's my club that's at the, at the north of uh, Minnesota. And there's other <laughs> women's only clubs in Minnesota, plus other clubs that have mixed membership. And I had to do some research, of course, because um, I like stats. And I found out that um, <laughs> Minnesota has 80,000 80, square miles of land and Ireland has 30,000 um, square miles of land. And Minnesota has a population of just over 5 million. And Ireland has a population of just under 7 million. So I, I'm pretty convinced that there are a lot of women in Ireland who would love to learn how to fish, only they don't know it. And that's the that's the women I'm trying to reach. So it's it's not articles in angling magazines. It's it's um, articles in magazines that women read, or papers that women read, or online journals that women read. You know, it's not it's not the angling because, um, you know, if if you're in an angling family, you will know, and you're a woman, you will know if you like fishing or not. So we're trying to reach all these women who are not in um, an angling family. And then we're talking about barriers there a wee while ago. Um. Actually, uh, I missed this one, but um, one of the biggest barriers is that women do not feel safe to um, go out alone. Um, You know, the prospect of um, walking five miles up a riverbank scares me. Now, I know women who will do it, but I'm not keen to do it. I like to go fishing on a river with somebody. Um, I I can take a boat out and lock mask on my own, but um, it's it's just strange. Um, I can tell you this story. Um, A youth worker in the United States had a mixed group of young people and he asked the young people to start writing down the things they do every day to keep safe. 
And after about two minutes, um, the guys had all finished and were looking around at the at the young women writing furiously. And the women kept writing. So it just demonstrated that women have to think more about how they keep themselves safe on a daily basis um, than men do. And I think that actually does affect the numbers of women in angling because angling really is something that um, you tend to do on your own, you know. It's a really good point, actually. I think it's, um, I think yeah. it's something we underestimate, Maddie, um, as men. I remember, I think it was my wife was telling me a survey or a stat she had read. Um, I thought it was very interesting where women were asked, like, if there was no men in the world, what would you, <laughs> what would you do in the evening time? And they would say, we would go for a walk. We would go for a run, you know, we would go out on our own, we would go to the woods, we would go to the beach. And I just, you know, for me, wouldn't even think twice that I couldn't do that. I would do, you know what I mean? And it just struck home that like kind of going, yeah, dead right. Like, and even just sorry, another story on that. I was a couple of weeks ago, I was down by the River Shore, which is my local river. And it was daytime and I pulled up to usually nobody around, but um, I was just tackling up and a young girl drove down and it's like it's a real it's a lonely lane where I was parked and I could see she was a bit like I she was I think to do with science she was doing some surveying of birds in the air but I could see she was totally freaked out that yeah. she was a young girl on her own and here is this guy you know what I mean and it was just like she couldn't get out of there quick enough and you feel terrible you know what I mean that that's in this day and age mm. and you're right Maddie that's the thing we're about fishing isn't it that is part of the problem that you're in such isolated spots um, and I think it is something that we do do underestimate. Um, can I t- can I ask you, Maddie? I think it's very interesting when you hear the numbers from the states and what Pamela was saying. What should we be doing more? Do you think in Ireland? Um, because I think part of the problem is, and Tom, we've always spoken about this as well as fishing is such a niche sport anyway. And then you fly fishing within that. That you know, my friends all play golf. They all think I'm mad because I'm into fishing. So like that's just a general thing in terms of trying to get people into it. So trying to get women into it is an even harder sell then, do you think? Well, I mean, there is a stat that um, more people go fishing on a Sunday than watch football on a Saturday. Um, I honestly don't know how true that is. I've Googled it many times. Um, it's obviously a stat that refers to England, and I think it's referring to course anglers, and there are a lot of, of um, people who go course fishing on a Sunday. So maybe it's true. I really don't know. But, um, yes, what what can be done to bring more women into angling? Um you know, it is going to take investment. And I have to say way back in 2019 when Inland Fisheries Ireland announced that wonderful programme to um, encourage more women and young people into angling, I was over the moon and just really sorry that that programme came to an end suddenly. And it would be absolutely great to see something like that happening again because, I mean, that programme employed seven people, eight people, to actually, um, you know, get more people and get more women and young people into angling and that was absolutely perfect um, so I, I'm afraid it's just going to take money and it's going to take time and effort And but you know unless we do get more young people into angling and more women into angling um, angling is going to die and we know that already because you know I've been on the competition scene um, on the big lakes in Ireland now for over 30 years and you know way back in the 90s um, you know both men were really common, gillies were really common, but nowadays, you know, um, on the big lakes, it can be quite hard to get um, enough boat men to, um, you know, gillie on a, on one of the big competitions. So I would say in 10, 15 years' time, um, unless something's done, that scene's going to have changed completely. Yeah, well, it's actually it's actually something we've touched on here, Matty. Um, we've touched on quite a few episodes about getting young people in. And it's interesting, 
and we'll kind of move a bit out of um, just into general angling terms here. And I'm going to ask you, Pamela, do you still see a lot of young people, be they boys or girls? This is just a question now for getting youth involved. Would you still have a, a lot, um, I'd say a lot of youth coming into fishing and fly fishing where you are? Yeah, and uh, I do. Uh, I took my nephew uh, fly fishing for the first time. He's a spin angler. And he's like, oh, my whole football team's going to want to go now. They're all going to want to go. But, you know, uh, starting next year, I'll be working with some youth groups, uh, taking them fly fishing and and, uh, doing outdoor stuff with them. I think uh, we all need to make sure that we – uh, introduce them to fly fishing, let them get a grasp of what it is, and teach them conservation along the way. We need our waterways. We need clean waters. And uh, what better way to start than teaching our young people uh, about fly fishing? And most fly fishers, we generally take more out than what we brought in. We have a caring as- aspect about um, uh, nature and what's out there and to leave it like it was and make it even better. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we need to work with our young and uh, through group organizations and uh, church organizations. Uh, we have something here in West Virginia called Beyond the Backyard, uh, where we uh, work with kids and get them involved in the outdoors and fly fishing being one of them. So, you know, I think it starts with our young uh, we show them what there is out there and uh, in fly fishing and uh, teach them conservation along the way. I think it's very important. Uh, I just think it goes hand in hand with fly fishing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And fair play to you for doing all those. But uh, So going back just to what we were saying there, and you brought up a couple of stats there, Maddie, and I saw a few of the stats. And um, one of them was that 5% of the instructors in Minnesota are women or female that's so yeah that's right um it's it's i think there's a lot of work Pamela can um um help us in this but there is work going on in the united states to try and um get women um to the stage where they can coach other women and instruct um and they're, they're trying to develop women within angling so it's more than just getting women into angling there has to be a long-term um picture a long-term plan to actually have women involved in angling, not just going out and fishing themselves, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, I love the clubs that actually encourage their young people to um, take a role on the committee um, because um, I know of, of one um, angling club where um, one of the young girls just said to the committee, I think she said an AGM, um, you know, I, why don't I see more women fishing? You know, we've got to organize a, a day for women to go fishing. Mm. This, this young girl was only 13 years old, you know, so I I, I really, really, really want to see, um, as well as women being encouraged, um, young people to, um, you know, come forward with their ideas and, you know, for the, for committees generally to, to listen to them, you know, sometimes um, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and that's very true, and it's great to, great to see something like that. Um. And actually, speaking of young girls, like because we had, you know, um, Rebecca and Alva yes. from the Youth Flight Team, like we had them on, um, it was late last year, actually. And it, it's just a point that I'm going to bring up because I remember we were saying to them about, you know, male dominated sport. But, um, and this is, this is what I see the hope for change because I remember saying at that time, well, um, and you know, Maddie, but, uh, 
Pamela, we have Irish football here, Gaelic football, which is very much male-dominated and really popular here. And it was just purely played by men. But in the last 15 years, we've seen an explosion of uh, women's football. And it's really popular now. And like I remember when I was growing up, all the girls that were my age couldn't play football, you know, because the local football club didn't have a ladies football team or a women's football team. But they do now and they're really strong. And I see young girls um, and young women now getting a chance to to do it. But that's because the structure was put in place and there was... Um, Investment. A ch- yes, an encouragement. But you see, and this is back where I'm saying, and this is tying in with what's happening with you, Pamela. You've got... Um, instructors like yourself and guides and as you said you touched on it there like anybody coming into the sport if you're a woman it's a lot probably and you touched on it it's easier for them to go to another woman rather than if, if they feel like it's a entering into the male dominated bastion it's must be really nice for them to come along and see you and go god this is great i can feel comfortable yeah it's it, i had one lady uh that contacted me and she had had some really bad things in her life happen. And she told me, she said, I found you at a time that I needed to find something. And she is a devout fly fishing lady now. And she just takes off and goes on my trips and fishes on her own. She's got other ladies in her area fishing. Uh, it really means something when you've touched somebody like that and got them involved in something that you truly love and uh, have des- a desire and a passion to teach. So it's, yeah. That's great. That's a great story. I was going to say that, um, you know, you don't get um, any more male dominated in sport than you do in the likes of rugby. Um, And as you say, football, but let's look at soccer. And, you know, there have now been a number of um, televised um, women's World Cup soccer championships and um, rugby championships. So, you know, if women can break into those two sports, um, now, that didn't happen overnight. Somebody um, looking on might say, oh, yeah, goodness, the women just come from nowhere. The women haven't come from nowhere. Um, they've been working at getting women into rugby and soccer for like 35 years or more. Um, the interesting thing is, in terms of soccer, um, there used to be women football teams. But um, I don't know, maybe 80 years ago, somebody decided um, and decided that women shouldn't be playing football. So they closed down all the women's football teams. So um, this bringing women's football teams back, you know, it's just replacing what used to be there. They used to be there. But yeah, you know, um, women playing rugby and um, a, a world championship rugby that's televised is incredible. So um, it, it takes investment. It really does. I mean, the soccer didn't get to where it is now with, with um, no money or, you know, it, it was yeah. a lot of money put into it. So um, it is going to take money. I do think as well the the mass media does have a, a big role to play um, because when you look at the coverage of so- women's soccer and rugby, it's on TV, it's in the newspapers, it's online. You can't help but notice it, you know, um, and that sports editors have had to sit up and take notice and say, yeah, we have to include this and we will include it. And it becomes a self-fulfilling then, I think, because the more people see it, the more people talk about it, the more people talk about it, more people will hopefully play. Um, and I think you are seeing that with it, with the likes of, um, you know, you had the Women's World Cup um, most recently as well. If you're a fly tire or want to get into fly tying, this is for you. Ireland on the Fly are partnering with Fulling Mill to give away a box of fly tying materials with free shipping to one lucky listener each week for the next 12 weeks. 
Known for producing world-class fishing flies, including ranges from the likes of Dave McPhail, Jackie Mahan, Ronan Crane, and a very own Tom Duck, Fulling Mail has been perfecting the art of fly tying for decades, and they are now launching their new range of fly tying material, including marabou, bucktail, and zonker strips, to dubbing, chenille, yarn, and wool. I think I got all, all right. It's a complete offering, and each item is processed and packed by hand, ensuring it arrives in perfect condition. So with fly tying season around the corner, what are you waiting for? The products are available online and in-store from your local Fulling Mill dealer, so check it out at fullingmill.co.uk. And you never know, I might actually now finally start to take up fly tying, maybe. So to be in with a chance of winning the £50 worth of materials, just answer the following question. Name one of the Irish Fulling Mill fly tying designers. So that's name one of the Irish Fulling Mill fly tying designers. Email your answer to info at lastcastmedia.com. That's info at lastcastmedia.com. And we'll pick a weekly winner for the next 12 weeks. For more details, see the show notes and our posts on Instagram at Ireland on the Fly. Can I bring it back to maybe the fishing itself and just to explain to people, um, I'm going to ask about the day itself just to remind people um, and what they can do and what to look out for. Uh, but before we do, Pamela, I'm fascinating, fascinated in finding out about the fishing in West Virginia. <laughs> what, oh. what is it? What's it like? <laughs> Give us some kind of insights. West Virginia, we have everything from blue line streams where you can do a bow and arrow cast to like you could do a full-fledged fly-out like you'd see in Montana or, or, you know, on on one of the movies. We've got it all here. We've got bass, musky, trout. Uh, uh, we've got it all. We've got it all here. Like I say, you can, like Maddie said, you can walk five miles up, you know, a native brook trout stream and use a, you know, the stream might be two foot wide and you're hiding down low and you're doing a bow and arrow cast just so you can hopefully get a hookup. West Virginia is absolutely beautiful. Um, I can't say enough about our state and it's, and it's the whole state, the whole state catfish, there's fishing here of all sorts. We've, we've just got so much going on. And if you don't try a little bit of fly fishing in West Virginia, you have truly missed out on something that's pretty spectacular. Is it off the radar in, in the certain, certain sense that, you know, Americans think of fly fishing, they think of Montana, you know, Colorado, that kind of vibe. Whereas Vir- West Virginia is a little bit off the radar, is it? We are very much off the radar. Um, you know, a lot of people will be like, I didn't know West Virginia had that could kind of fly fishing, that kind of fishing in general. But, you know, uh, we have been a hidden gem and I think our secret's starting to get out. Uh, they all come to West Virginia, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. They all come here to West Virginia to fish our waters with the group. And uh, so I think that's pretty phenomenal to have ladies, you know, from those far distances to come here just to uh, fish and see what we have to offer. Well, you heard it here, folks. West Virginia is the place to be when you're heading stateside. Uh, Dara, Dara, to... bucket list. Bucket if list, exactly. Bucket list, we have exactly. a bucket list on the show. Oh, right. Well, the term we have is almost heaven, and it's so true to that term. It's Blue very Ridge true. Mountains. Yes, yes. <laughs> I won't start singing. Oh, please do, Dara. Come no, on. No. We don't want to lose the listeners. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll, before we get to our final, final question, which is the most memorable fish on the fly, um, Maddie, just remind us again International Women's Fly Fishing Day, Saturday the 9th, 11 a.m. Just take us through what people can do or look out for. 
we're asking women, no matter where they are, whatever time zone they're in, that at 11 o'clock they post a photograph of themselves enjoying fly fishing. And it could be that they're actually out fly fishing at that time or um, maybe they they can't actually go fly fishing that day and they can post an, an old photograph. And just it's just to show themselves um, enjoying fly fishing and um, they could maybe be doing something fly fishing related, like maybe tying a fly or... Uh, I don't know, watching a, a fly fishing um, video or something, but um, it's just to just to get across um, how um, you know how they enjoy their fly fishing. And although I say you know post at eleven o'clock, and that gives the whole idea of it unfolding across the world. In actual fact, um, it lasts starting to last a whole weekend now. So um, <laughs> people, you know, women can um, post their photograph um, at any time during the September the ninth. And bearing in mind that you know September the 9th doesn't really end until you know I think New Zealand's nearly starting its its third day by the time um, America okay. would be um, ending their day. So uh, yeah, and um, we've had we've had responses uh, so far from um, twenty three different countries over the last the previous three years, and in total, um, probably just under fifteen hundred women have taken part. Um, so that's phenomenal. And um, when you think that there's only 195 countries in the world, um, it means that we have managed to get responses from just under 12 percent, you know, which, you know, does sound quite a lot when you put it that way. And is there the hashtag they can use? There is a link. Um, we just search for International Women's Fly Fishing Day on Facebook and you'll find it. And then um, hashtag just um, IWFFD. And mm-hmm. is it Facebook or, or, or Insta? Both. You know, we it, you could be teaching, fly casting, anything fly fishing oriented. And that also includes any kind of angling artistry. You know, if you're a painter or yeah. a jewelry maker. And, you know, of course, we got to include conservation. You could be on a stream cleanup on that day or have done one and want to post photos or videos of what you've been doing to protect your waters and take care of them. What about male, male anglers? Can we do that in, like, in terms of posting around the hashtag as well just to show our support or... I would ask I would ask any male angler who knows any women who fish, who fly fish in particular, to encourage them to take part on the day. And also if you're a male angler and you know you maybe have a woman in your family or um in your circle of friends, um see if they want to go out fishing and, and see if um if you can um help them. I mean there's a lot of women, surprisingly quite a number of women who um on their first date they're taken fishing. No, and I know women who uh, the apparently there, I, apparently they, there's uh, there's women on this show that were taken yes. on their first date fishing. That's that's exactly how Pamela got involved. <laughs> she was taken fishing, and I think she was a bit shocked when she realised that she was going fishing. Um, yeah, I actually asked him if he had a p- pair of pink waders. <laughs> I didn't call her. He gave me. <laughs> and Pamela, can I ask you one thing? Would you wear pink waders now, though? No. No, I wouldn't. I, I like all the waiters I have. I would not wear yeah. pink. <laughs> what is with that whole um, bringing um, first dates on fly yeah. fishing? <laughs> you know, well, no, so some some anglers, some male, some guys um, have have taken um, women out on a first date, and it has happened a few times. Um, now, it's sometimes a- the relationship doesn't last, but you know, sometimes the women go on fishing. You know. And sometimes, of course, women hate it. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of that Simpsons episode, you know, where Homer buys Marge the bowling ball with the name Homer on it, like <laughs> with HS on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
and then she becomes a bowling champion. I think it's uh, but, uh... sorry, Pamela, but, but say you went fishing on a date on your first date. Yes. All right. Did that you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Um, until you know, he, I, I mean, he valet casted for me because I right. had everything tangled up, and honestly, I'd say he got tired of untying everything. So finally, he started valet casting. He put the rod in my hand and helped me get hooked up. I still have that original picture of my very first trout on the fly. And everything was doing well, and I really got feeling good about, you know, I got a little confidence filled up with that first fish, and I'm moving down river a little bit, and then splash, there I go in the water. And we're talking November. <laughs> it's cold, and my date is laughing. No swimming allowed, no swimming, and I'm laughing. I am, it's, it's just hilarious. Uh, but, uh, you know, that first trip was just, it just, I was never an outside girl at all. My family were all hunters and fishermen, right. but I was never a lady of the outdoors until that trip. And I was, that was very late in life for me. And I just feel like I've missed out on a lot with not having, giving, uh, myself that opportunity to have done that sooner and I would encourage any ladies that no matter what age you are whether you're a teenager or a lady in their 50s or 60s go fishing it does so much for you it gives you so many friends my life has just so has just opened up and has been such a wonderful life with my new friendships and this new sport and everything that I'm doing and all the things that I will continue to do and the people I'll meet there's nothing better. Just it has added so much to my life. So I encourage all women, just give it out, get out there and give it a try. Very well Brilliant. said. Very well said. But listen, we're not letting you go, either of you, because we always ask our guests a question. So um okay, so Maddie, I'm gonna ask you first, and then we'll move on to Pamela. And the question is, of course, is Maddie, what is your most memorable fish on the fly? Well, um, I'm going to say that it's actually a fish that I didn't manage to get in the net. It was actually um, in your back garden, Tom, Loch Corrib. Uh -huh. um, I think I was down in that wee bay in quite close to Rabbit Island. I know there's two Rabbit Islands, so it's the one that's mm. just down below um, Greenfields. Yeah. And it was a trial for the Irish ladies fly fishing team. And I was drawn by myself with a local boatman. And honestly, I forget his name. But um, he took me down to Rabbit Island and it wasn't exactly where I wanted to go. But I thought, you know, he knows the water. So down he goes and he takes me up this wee bay and we were on one side. And he looked over and he said, there's a decent fish on the far side. So um, I actually, it was the first fish that I ever actually hunted. So um, we rode round and I helped with the rowing and we got behind it and I was casting out. And um, this magnificent fish of about four and a half pounds grabbed my tail fly. And we were sitting in, it was over at that stage about um, what I would call deep shallows. You know, you have the rocks mm. coming up, breaking the surface. And then in between the rocks, there's uh, deep, deep water. Black water. So, um, so, of course, the fish decided he would dive into the deep water. And um, in doing so, the top dropper caught in a rock and the fish got off. So, um, you know, I obviously disappointed because it was a competition for a national team. But um, I was just so happy that I had seen that fish rise and mm. I'd manoeuvred the boat over and um, managed to get the fly over the fish and got the fish to take me. 
So anyway, um, it was quite a long bay. We were drifting on, and lo and behold, about 150 yards up, there was another little fish showing itself. And uh, so I went after it, and um, this one took my top dropper. And when I when it came up, um, it was about it was slightly smaller, probably about four pounds. Only we're still in this um, deep shallows and there's rocks everywhere. <laughs> and this time my tail flag had caught in a rock. So um, off comes the, the fish off the top dropper. So I, I still remember those two fish. You know, it, it didn't matter. I didn't actually get them in the net. You know, obviously I would have liked it because when all the girls came in and there wasn't very many fish between them. But um, I, I still remember those two fish and um, really, really glad that I actually did hook them. Yeah. So, well, the question is the most memorable, and they're the ones you remember the most. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, sometimes, sometimes just hooking the fishes, you know, it's it's better than actually landing them. <laughs> yep. they get so, bigger all the time. <laughs> yeah, they do, of course. So, right, so Pamela and your most memorable fish on the fly. Well, let me give you a little bit of backstory. So, it was probably about my second trip that I was holding. Uh, to take ladies on a fly fishing trip. And uh, it was at a location in West Virginia called Harmon's Luxury Log Cabins. And it's on the south branch of the Potomac River. And uh, so, you know, I have all these cabins and I have all these girls that have pre-booked and come in. This one particular trip, I had a bunch of ladies from other places just show up. So it was like, whoa, it was like 20 some ladies. And, you know, I just didn't, I remember giving out every piece of equipment that I had. I even was wet waiting because I gave my waiters to one of the girls. I had absolutely almost nothing left, but my, it was during that trip that was probably would have to be my most memorable fish that was caught. And it wasn't actually my fish. It was, I had a couple ladies with me on that, that was hearing impaired. And, um, you know, to say it was kind of tough to get them hooked up. It, it was. It was kind of tough. It was tough for them. But uh, one of the ladies in particular, you know, I, I couldn't sign. I didn't know how to sign, which I keep saying I'm going to learn because I'd like to take some more ladies out. But I took this one. I had her on the river. I was guiding her. And, um, you know, she kept missing, missing the hits. So finally, and and we, I mean, it was like, uh, seemed like we casted and we casted and she just wasn't quick enough to get on that, to, to set the hook. So finally I put my arm on her arms and got her hook set and helped her fight that and land it. And that was just a really special day because she almost broke down and cried. She was so happy. Uh, and it was just, just great just to see somebody like that. That meant so much to, uh, yeah, that was probably the best moment. That's a beautiful story, Pamela. As it, what they say is, isn't it, that, and Tom, you know as a guide as well, that you get as much pleasure when you help other people catch yes. fish, yes. you know, and it's, yeah, that, it's passing that's the way, it on. Pamela, isn't it? You really do, Pamela. Especially yeah. somebody like that doesn't have mm. a lot of opportunities to do things like that, and it's out of yeah. their comfort. And for them to have that opportunity and to be able to land a fish and that. That smile was worth a thousand casts to me, and I have that on her picture. I have her picture. It's it's a very gratifying. That's beautiful. Beautiful stories. Mm. Well, Maddie and Pamela, thanks again for your time. Um, it's been brilliant finding out about 
the the background to the initiative. It's the fourth year now, um, International Women's Fly Fishing Day, and I'll remind people again, it's 11 a.m. Uh, on Saturday, the 9th of September. We'll post the link in the show notes as well uh, so that people know. And it's hashtag IWF... Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, IWFD. IWFD, yeah. IWFFD. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that up as well. As well, yeah. just so it, it isn't, now, it isn't yeah. just at 11 a.m., um, but if you can, post your, yeah. your photograph at 11 a.m., but it's all day. Yeah, and yeah. I think it'd be fascinating with just people following it, you know what I mean, on social, just to mm. keep an eye on what comes in. Um, you so know something? Fun. There are absolutely stunning photographs that are posted from all over the world, incredible photographs. It just makes you want to go and visit countries like New Zealand, Iceland, and Australia, unbelievable photographs. Another part of that, too, is seeing those photographs, you get to see uh, the countryside of these other places that you would ordinarily not get to mm. see and how people fish differently. We all have different streams and it's really you get to just see countrysides. It's really nice to watch and follow and see what other people have in their areas. Pamela, Maddie, thanks again for joining us and um, very best of luck with it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be watching with uh, with keen eyes on the day. So thanks again. Thank you for having us. Our thanks to Maddie Kelly and Pamela Dunlap for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.